You're damn well right. Better make him the manager over the next series of years. We used heart attack. Lee. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. The credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans Bob The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. As What's going on, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Thinking of you know coming up, coming across probably you know Monday, coming after a full slate of NFL games, it's always a good day to reanalyze the quarterback situation as it exists in the league because there's no more powerful position in the National Football League. There's no more position that has the most ability to change a team from a winning team to a losing team or conversely could upset the, could, uh, I don't know, the continuity of an organization by having not the right guy behind center. And you've looked at solid quarterbacks, the Russell Wilsons that are hurt. You think of Patrick Mahomes who's struggling at this moment. And the kind of weird situation going on in San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, this is something that hasn't it was spoken about a lot at the time when the 49ers decided to make the decision to trade up in a draft to get the number three overall pick. At the time, it seemed like they were considering taking Matt jo- Mac Jones out of Alabama. They end up taking the Boise State quarterback, Trey Lance. And it, just the whole mood that it sets for the entire organization. You think of, Brett, of uh, Aaron Rodgers last year. And obviously, I almost said Brett Favre. You know, we're thinking about Brett Favre, what, 15 years ago, you know, when Aaron Rodgers was drafted. But Aaron Rodgers is pissed off because the Green Bay Packers are set to win themselves a Super Bowl, and they use their first overall pick, their first round draft pick, not on a receiver, not on a defensive player, not on a person that could help the team immediately and make them close in regards to the Super Bowl opportunity they're looking to get to, but a quarterback. To draft Jordan Love, you understand why that pissed Aaron Rodgers off. Now listen, Aaron Rodgers being the the diva, did he take it too far? Uh, Did he turn this entire offseason into a mockery by the way he was acting? Listen, all these things could probably all be true. But the bottom line is the Packers were looking to win themselves a Super Bowl, and instead they decided to take the heir apparent to a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now, I'm not putting Jimmy Garoppolo in the same sentence, but the 49ers' expectation is that they're supposed to be getting closer to the Super Bowl. They were just there a couple years ago. It's not like you know, it's not like they're that far away. They expect themselves to be a playoff team this year. They expect themselves to compete in the likes of what is the toughest division in pro football, the NFC West. And I get it. The Rams are there. I get it. The Cardinals are undefeated. These are all things that are going to make the quest to get to the Super Bowl via San Francisco 49ers tougher. But I don't think they did themselves any favors when they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo's successor. I don't think that made that team any better right now. And the 49ers, who have a very good defense, they have some very good skilled players. And like I said, you're only talking about two years removed from being in the Super Bowl. So this is a team that really isn't that far off in regards to winning right now. And they took themselves a quarterback that at this moment is sitting on the bench, but already you're going to start to hear the scurries and the scutter when it comes to whether he should be playing right now, whether Jimmy Garoppolo should be sitting on the bench. And of course, a tough loss to the Colts and every difficult loss that they have is going to say, hey, is it time for Trey Lance? And basically, if you're if you're the 49ers, you ideally want to be in a position where you trade Garoppolo, get some value for him, and then you move on with Lance as your starting quarterback. And then the other element is you could have gotten yourselves another quality player that could help you right now. Now, of course, the thought process behind if you you made the decision to go now 
with uh, with a different player, that means that you're making a commitment that Garoppolo is your quarterback all along. And when it comes to quarterbacks in the National Football League, let's be serious. The easiest way to move on from the quarterback that you have and move on to the next one is to just rip the Band-Aid off. Either trade Jimmy Garoppolo, release him, move on to Trey Lance, and just just move on. This dream succession plan that I think was existed in New England for a while and eventually led to the trade of Garoppolo to the 49ers. You know, the thought that you're going to move from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love is maybe a romantic type of scene as you're as you're believing in, in, in something that is almost coming out of a movie, but in the end, it's not what you what what happens in a National Football League. Teams go from not having a quarterback to a quarterback to to sit here and and I hate to say it we're talking about the value of a 53 man roster in a National Football League do you really want to have somebody that's not going to play or going to play very little clog in the depth of your roster and I know the 49ers are using plays for Trey Lance to trying to get him in the offense and you know they believe that hey, a little time is going to help them. Not everybody's ready for the National Football League. I get it. But we've we've grown into following the last, I don't know, 10 years or even less, where the quarterbacks are ready coming out of college. The majority of them are ready to play the National Football League. Now, can we talk about some examples that may not have worked out? You got Sam Darnold over with the Carolina Panthers getting benched. And it, rightly so. The team's getting blown out by the Giants. They're going up against a team that they're expected to beat. Is it time to think that maybe the Carolina Panthers have made a mistake? P.J. Walker gets a chance. He gets a couple snaps. Listen, I like P.J. Walker as much as the next guy. I watched the XFL, you know, all, all whatever, you know, four or five weeks that the league existed. And P.J. Walker could play. But the bottom line is the, the college quarterbacks are set to play in the NFL. They, they don't need to sit and wait a little bit. Jordan Love, the only reason that he's not playing in an NFL game is because Aaron Rodgers is a starting quarterback at the Green Bay Packers, and he's still there. If Jordan Love was drafted by somebody else, he'd probably be behind center already. We have a better idea of whether Jordan Love is, is trending towards being a successful National Football League quarterback. But, uh, you know, these things, they, they kind of concern me. And you've heard my rant when it comes to the, uh, the weakness of the lack of quality starting quarterbacks that exist in the National Football League. And you heard me a couple weeks ago talk about Cam Newton. Cam Newton should be on somebody's roster. I mean, if Zach Wilson's going to be out for an extended period of time, which it looks like he's going to be, PCL injury, it's not like he's coming back next week, they, they should sign Cam Newton and put him on the roster right now. Does that mean that Mike White can't play? Does that mean that Mike White can't use uh, this as an opportunity to see if he could play pro football at this level? No. But, you know, you think Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. He's sitting on a bench behind Philadelphia's Jalen Hurts. Gardner Minshew's in that same spot. Uh, I just think some teams could say they have two, three quarterbacks. And to me, when you have more than one quarterback, that really means that you have zero. And we're never going to get the perfect spread amongst the 32 teams to have the 32 best players that could play at a position. Because in some cases, some of them are out of the league. In other cases, some of the players are injured. And you know, in, in yet other cases, they're, they're just stuck on the same team. I don't know how good Jordan Love's going to be. I don't know how good Trey Lance is going to be. But we're not going to see that in Green Bay with Love anytime soon. Maybe this is the last year. It's expected, the last dance, the whole thing that you know Aaron Rodgers is trying to you know over dramatize this whole season in Green Bay. Maybe, maybe he's playing somewhere else next year. Maybe next year you get a look at what Jordan Love is, and if Trey Lance is the starter in San Francisco, then Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be playing for somewhere else. Now Garoppolo, from a winning percentage standpoint, you know it's probably somebody you want behind center. He wins the majority of the games he starts. The change in San Francisco for them being a doormat in the NFC to a team that became a legitimate playoff and eventual Super Bowl contender 
was the trade for Garoppolo from the New England Patriots. Now, I understand Garoppolo is not going to be the quarterback of the future because he doesn't stay healthy. The fact that he couldn't stay on the field very much in the last couple seasons had a lot to do with the fact that the 49ers underachieved. They didn't really have somebody that was sitting on the sidelines that was ready to do what Garoppolo could do. And the thought is, hey, we go into the draft, we take Trey Lance, this is going to be the quarterback of the future. We have our guy if and when Garoppolo gets hurt. You know, thinking about Darnold for a second, you know, there wasn't any more highly touted quarterback a couple of years ago. The whole suck for Sam thing, the thought was, hey, if you have the number one overall pick, man, you're going to drop in a heartbeat. You can't wait to get Sam Darnold. This quarterback's going to be the, the one of the best in a league for a long period of time. And it hasn't worked out. And you could say the answer could be Jets. Hey, the Jets screwed him up. And maybe they did. You know, Adam Gase, a good offensive mind that he was, didn't seem to get Sam Darnold any better over the couple seasons that he was there as the head football coach. Now, he sent him over to Carolina. You know, kind of a, a, a system that's set there. I don't know if he necessarily has great players. He's got decent, decent offensive line. Christian McCaffrey being out doesn't help things. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson... You know, those, obviously you got receivers that could play. But this was supposed to be kind of the unleashing of Sam Darnold. And the fact that the schedule set it up to where the Panthers played the Jets' first game of the season, you kind of knew the way it was going to turn out. And, uh, you know, Sam Darnold played a very good football. And the Jets and their fans kind of got to see what they dreamed of when the Jets drafted him third overall. Well, that same draft, Baker Mayfield went number one. You know, Josh Allen went six. Josh Rosen went 10. And Josh Rosen's almost out of the league now. But Lamar Jackson went, what, 32nd? You know, 31st, 32nd at the end of the first round? By far, he seems to be the best quarterback in that draft class. And it shows that you, you don't really know. But it also shows how difficult it is to play quarterback in a National Football League. You're talking about something that's not easy to do. Even some of the best, the most skilled, the most talented end up falling on their face. And that's not even mentioning the possibility of an injury which exists at any single time. You know, you think about it, 140 straight starts Russell Wilson made since he was drafted and looked like he was going to back up Matt Flynn his first season with the Seattle Seahawks. Not a lot of people knew who Russell Wilson was, but he was named starter opening day and he's played and started all 16 games ever since until his injury this year. You know, you don't you don't know you're going to have that player, and Eli Manning for the amount of years that he played, and just the luck of the draw to be able to stay healthy. Tom Brady didn't stay healthy every single season. You know, Brett Favre managed to, but you think about all the greats to play in this league. You know, Drew Brees. You know, a couple times he's been hurt here and there. And what is the drop off going to be between your first guy and your second guy? Because I think that's important too. And the fact that we can't staff, in my opinion, and we talk about the world and jobs and how it sucks to make sure anybody's got enough uh, of a personnel around to do the job, there isn't 32 quarterbacks in the National League to QB every one of these teams. And that's a problem. And for teams that legitimately could use somebody to be able to help out in a blink of an eye, I mean, where, where are the Jets going to be next week if Mike White somehow gets hurt? And remember a couple years ago, you know, they had you know Sam Darnold and you know their backup Trevor Simeon got hurt. And uh, I, th I think they had some guy named Falk quarterbacking for them. These injuries could happen in a blink of an eye. They could happen overnight. And I'm, as, as I'm analyzing this and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what... The goal should be because you think of you think of the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields. He's the guy that should be playing right now. Andy Dalton. I understand that they 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 traded they signed him, and the expectation was, hey, we're going to sign you, we're going to start you. And but that happened well before the draft. The draft comes, Justin Fields becomes available, and the Chicago Bears draft him. You didn't draft Justin Fields to sit on the bench. But as this was brought up in the telecast yesterday with Tony Romo and Jim Nance, 
you know, how do you know right off the bat whether somebody needs a little time to learn the offense, learn about the idiosyncrasies and the differences between playing college football and being a pro football quarterback? Is it guaranteed that that college quarterback is ready? Now, Justin Fields was solid in college. It was expected that he was going to go in the first round of the draft. But was he going to be able to take a team like the Bears who made the playoffs last year? The expectation was going to be that if they can make the playoffs with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Falk, then they're going to be able to make the playoffs with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. Now, they've had some good games this year. They've had some bad games this year. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers you know, wiped them off the field. Field, obviously, no pun intended. But the question shouldn't be whether Justin Fields should be starting as a quarterback of the Chicago Bears. I mean, they, they've already done that. They've already put him behind center. They've already announced that he's going to be the starter. To go back and forth and play Andy Dalton or play Nick Falk it isn't doing anything to develop the quarterback that they invested in. The problem is, is when you take a quarterback in the first round of a draft, you're making the commitment to them for at least three years. And you got to go with the ups and downs that come with it. The Jets held on to Sam Darnold for three years, and then they decided to take a quarterback number two overall in the draft, and they took Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is probably going to be the Jets quarterback for more than three years, but you're going to give the new guy, the first-round draft pick, the number one pick, three years to play. And that's what makes the Josh Rosen situation so much more fascinating. The fact that after one year, the Arizona Cardinals changed coaches, took the best player, number one overall in the, in the draft because they had the number one pick, and moved on to Kyler Murray after just that one season. Josh Rosen was with Miami. Josh Rosen's going to have a hard time you know, being somebody's backup right now. And it's going to be tough for him because... The ultimate situation for Josh Rosen is going to be to have a quarterback get hurt, him slide in, and all of a sudden, everything you saw when he was playing at UCLA comes out and he becomes a starter. Now, it doesn't mean it's not possible. It doesn't mean that, that there's no way that that could happen. But as, as you go through this league and you see some of the guys playing, no offense to Mike White, no offense to P.J. Walker, and like I said, P.J. Walker playing in the XFL, I always thought the XFL could be great as a developmental league for the National Football League and you know its teams. P.J. Walker played, you know, paid some dues by playing whatever, the four weeks in the XFL. Played at a high level. Now, does that mean he's ready? Well, I mean, I'd give him a chance, you know, over a uh, walk-on or a late-round draft pick off the street that you know has been in a couple training camps. But once again, and you look at the importance not only to have a starting quarterback, but to have two. And John Gruden, who obviously is is long gone in in, in uh, Las Vegas with the Raiders, and the Raiders seem to have responded with two straight solid wins. But his mantra was always, you know, if you have one quarterback, you, you don't have enough. Who's the next guy? You want to have a quality quarterback, somebody that you feel like is going to know your offense enough that even if your quarterback's a star, you're not losing too much with the second guy. And that's why the Raiders have Marcus Mariota. That's why the Raiders have Nathan Peterman as their number three quarterback. Now, things, of course, could change because Gruden isn't there anymore. But you're looking at an example of a team holding on to three quarterbacks. And listen, Peterman's touchdown-to-interception ratio is going to be amongst one of the worst in the history of the National Football League. He looked awful with the Buffalo Bills a couple years ago. But you know, you're looking at a team with some depth at the position. The Bears, who may not have a definitive starter, even though it's understood that they're going to go with Justin Fields and we're going to see if he develops. And over time, we're, you're going to figure out if he could play in this league, got three players that could play the position. None of them's really stood out. And when the Bears are battling in the NFC North division, 
against the likes of the Packers and the Vikings and the Lions. And, of course, the Lions haven't won a game. But, you know, the you wonder if Fields, in the most important position on the football field, is going to be able to stand out enough to get them over the top. And I don't know if it's going to happen if it does right away. You're going to see some growing pains. You're going to see a defense like Tampa Bay come at him and make his, his day very tough. But you know, if, if I find it fascinating looking at the quarterback position in the National Football League, and I think about it every single week, and you see you know player A starting, player B starting, and some of them you're like, all right, here's your, your top 10, your top 15 quarterbacks, your top 20 that you feel should all be on the football field. And then you start looking, and you're like, well, he's getting a chance to play because he was a number one draft pick. You know, Baker Mayfield's interesting to think about. You know, the, you got the development of the Cleveland Browns, and part of it has come with the emergence of Baker as the number one pick. But if Baker wasn't 1-1 in a draft, would he have a little more competition? I get it. Case Keenum has, has played in this league before. It's not like you, you have somebody that that can't run the offense. But yeah, I think of Baker Mayfield and you wonder if he's benefiting over the fact that the Browns invested the number one overall pick in him. And is he gonna get that, you know, fifth year option picked up? Is he gonna get that new contract worked out as he gets set for year number five? I don't know. But you look do you look at Baker Mayfield as a top ten quarterback? As a top 15 quarterback, top 20 in a National Football League. Yeah, I, I I think he's a good player. I think he throws the ball okay, but I think he plays a little too safe. I don't see him taking chances. I don't see him throwing a deep ball. I don't see him, you know, changing a game with with decisions that he's making on the football field. And does it mean he's still developing? Sure. You, know, you got a good running game. You got some good receivers. Offensive and defensive lines are strong there. The expectations is the Browns are supposed to be a playoff team, either with Baker or without Baker. But do you look at Baker in the same light as Lamar Jackson? The answer is no. Do you look at Baker in the same light as Josh Allen? And I mentioned obviously those two because they were taken in the same draft. And you know, it's almost like a hell no. Will the Browns be looking for a new quarterback next year? And then. If you're, if you're a team that doesn't have a quarterback, this will be the last point I'm going to make on this. Let's say the Carolina Panthers this past year, they moved on from Teddy Bridgewater. He went to Denver. They traded for Sam Darnold. How, how confident do you feel as a team taking somebody else's quarterback and giving them a chance? Because Ryan Tannehill has worked out for the, Houston, uh, the Tennessee Titans. Oilers on my mind. So if I ever say that again, you, you know where it's coming from. I'm an Oiler fan, true and true, and I, I follow the team to Tennessee. But Ryan Tannehill sitting on the bench behind Marcus Mariota after the Dolphins gave up on him, it wasn't like he proved he couldn't play, but the Dolphins said, all right, we're going to move on. Titans like, hey, we could use backup, maybe somebody to push Mariota a little bit. Mariota you know, gets hurt. You know, they make the decision to go to Tannehill. Tannehill becomes a franchise quarterback. The same expectation is in the minds of the front office of the Carolina Panthers with Sam Darnold. They pick him up. Some of the expectation is, hey, maybe the Jets mismanaged him. Maybe they didn't do a good enough job with him. And he comes and, I, I don't know, he's, he leaves a little bit to be desired. Do you think the Giants just played a good football game yesterday? Do you, do you think a, a good defense is going to give Darnold a, a hard time over the course of, of uh, you know the next several matchups? I don't know. I mean, based off of what we've seen with the Jets and what we've seen so far, you're starting to get doubts over whether Sam Darnold can play. And as we get to the culminizing point here that I'm trying to make, you know, if you're a team that doesn't have a quarterback, it's almost like you're trying to get a retread head coach to play your quarterback position. You get somebody else's mistake or somebody else's overrating, 
you take a draft pick that was taken very high by another team and that player didn't work out, so you're going to go give them a chance to be your quarterback. You know, Mitch Trubisky's on the bench behind Josh Allen. Now, listen, Allen gets hurt. Trubisky's got a great opportunity on a great team. But I'm sure there's some teams that could benefit if they had Mitch Trubisky behind center and not who they have. You know, I look at Davis Mills with the Houston Texans, and to me, that's the most frustrating thing. You got this guy starting, and I get it. He was taken in this year's draft. You know, the Texans owe it to themselves to figure out what this guy's got, especially knowing that Deshaun Watson's not going to play. But they can't do better than Davis Mills. And you look at throughout this league, Jared Goff is struggling. You know, he got he, he's he's getting uh, picked on a little bit on a Detroit Lion team that looks like it's going to be bad again. You know, should Jared Goff be a starter? Carson Wentz a little bit of up and down with the Colts. You know, he's got some good moments. He's a, he's actually outplayed. I think what some of the expectation is. He's played better than Darnold. He's played better than Goff. Um, he's getting a chance, something Trubisky you know, isn't getting as he's sitting behind Josh Allen. So you think of, you know, one of these days I'm going to reorganize the quarterbacks based off of depth in the league. And some teams have backups that probably should be starters for other teams. And you watch the Jets, and I understand that the Jets wanted to look out for Zach Wilson. They didn't want to have a veteran in there that was going to push them. You know, they drafted Wilson with the expectation that Darnold was not going to be their quarterback in the future. But to not bring in a veteran, somebody like a Cam Newton, who, by the way, should be on a NFL team's roster, you know, is a little surprising. So we got the World Series coming up, the Astros and the Atlanta Braves. And it's a uh, unique matchup. In fact, the first time the Astros and the Braves are ever going to play in a World Series, and I get it, the Astros have only been in the American League since 2013, so their third World Series since going to the ALs in, in, in 19, I'm sorry, 2017, 19, and 21, you got three unique teams that they obviously could not have played in a World Series in a National League. The Braves, who are going to the World Series for the 10th time, are playing their sixth different opponent. So they played the Red Sox, they played the Indians twice, they've played the Twins, the Blue Jays, the Yankees four times, and now they're playing the Houston Astros. So the 88 win Atlanta Braves are taking a little bit of heat. Nothing that they did wrong. You know, an 88-win team in the National League when there was, what, seven 90-win teams in the American League. The fifth best record in the National League. But that's why they have the playoff system set up. And you give the Braves all credit for rising up in a right opportunity. And the teams that won more games, not getting a job done. I mean, you give the Braves the credit for beating the Dodgers and beating the Brewers, two teams that won a considerable more amount of games than they did. And I try to think, the three-time World Series champion Atlanta Braves won in 1914 in one of the most unbelievable World Series in the history of Major League Baseball, and one that I've mentioned on this show. If you go back in the PBS archives, you'll hear me talk about the miracle 1914 Braves. And really, two different elements here. One, that there's a chance that the Philadelphia Athletics players could have thrown the World Series against Connie Mack. Gamblers at the time are running rampant through the sport of Major League Baseball. But the other element is just how much of a shock it was. The... Philadelphia Athletics had won the World Series three times in the past four years, 1910, 1911, and 1913, and were considered by far the best team in baseball. You had the $100,000 infield. You had Eddie Plank and Chief Bender, the top two pitchers. This was a ridiculously deep team, a team that was expected to win. And the fact that the Braves, a team that was in last place in the National League in July, 
ends up rocketing themselves up in the first place, winning the National League, they were thought to have no chance against the Philadelphia Athletics. In fact, if we we're going to compare the odds to the Boston Braves in the World Series of 1914 to the odds of the Cincinnati Reds in the World Series of 1919, uh, it would be... It would be unbelievable how much the odds would be in favor of the Reds winning over the Braves. Now, obviously, the information that's there, knowing that the White Sox players weren't going to be trying, obviously adds to the odds that the Reds were going to win. But if you're measuring talent, the talent on that Reds team with Ed Roush and the the likes of, of those players on that squad, the talent was much better than what the Braves had. Now, the Braves had a Hall of Famer, second baseman Johnny Evers, known in, a, in an old poem of Tinker to Evers to Chance. You know, the, the middle infield of the Chicago Cubs and a World Series champion Cubs in 1907 and 1908. Yet he had a catcher named Hank Gowdy who hit 545 in a World Series, was 6 for 11, had three doubles, a triple, and a home run, would end up enlisting in U.S. military in World War One. And then ended up enlisting again in World War II. The only Major League Baseball player that ended up enlisting in both World Wars. Neither here nor there, but I think it's a valuable piece of information to throw out there. But you look at the Braves of that season in 1914, and it was a shock. It was a shock to the baseball community that they won. Not only won, but they swept the Philadelphia Athletics. And I'm surprised that there wasn't enough backlash against the results of that World Series. Now, there was thought that a lot smelled and there was some sort of odor or reeking of the results of the 1919 World Series. And the media had kind of grown in the last five years from 1914 to 1919. So there was more attention played. You know, you remember 1914 World Series you're only talking about, what, the 10th or 11th World Series that was played? There wasn't one played in, in 1904. Um, I don't know if nationally the sport had picked up enough where people all over the country, and remember, you're talking about an, an underdeveloped United States of America at that time, but is the World Series then what the World Series was 20 years after that? 50 years certainly is, isn't what it is right now. Did anybody really care about the Braves beating the Athletics. Sure, it made the newspapers. It was a headline probably at the time, the Miracle Braves. Team now was in, in last place several games out and at the end of July ends up winning the National League pennant, but then they shocked the world or shocked the very few baseball fans that were paying attention at the time. Most importantly, if the game was on a level, shocked the Philadelphia Athletics. You got the Braves who made the World Series one more time while they were in Boston before they moved to Milwaukee, and that was in 1948. They lost to a very good Cleveland Indians team led by Lou Boudreau and Joe Gordon. Larry Doby became a you know the everyday center fielder on that team. They didn't play him much in 47. They played him in 48. He made a, a hell of a difference there. You, know, you think of, of the likes of Bob Feller and Bob Lemon and... You know, Boudreaux, who was the MVP of the American League that year, but was also the player manager. You know, a, a good Braves team. A Braves team that, that uh, you know, certainly in the 1950s would get a lot better when they moved to Milwaukee. And, of course, they moved from Boston to Milwaukee after the 1952 season. And, uh, you know, they inherited a good team. You know, you got Warren Spahn. You got Eddie Matthews. Of course, you got Henry Aaron. And the team wins the World Series over the New York Yankees in 1957. They get back in 1958. The Yankees beat them. And they were a solid team really through the better part of the 1960s. And, of course, in 1966, they moved to Atlanta. Divisional play starts in 1969. The Braves, along with the New York Mets, are the first teams to win National League division titles. The Mets, of course, beat the Braves in the the first-ever NLCS going to the World Series and, of course, winning it that year. Braves struggle through the majority of the 70s. 
up and down. They have some good squads. Aaron hits, you know, number 715. <clears throat> you know, the 80s are very bad. TBS, you know, emerges in the 1970s. Talking about baseball on cable for the first time. And there's a lot of people that are that pay attention to baseball right now and it, you, you stream the game, whether it's off of your computer, your tablet, MLB at bat, the app. You know, you could turn on cable and pretty much catch moments of any game that you want to pay attention to. National games all over the place. But in the 1970s, TBS was a, a huge deal. The fact that there was a team in Atlanta that was on television nationally. And you talk about now, just about every team is. You, know, you don't have to worry. I mean, if you're a Yankee fan in uh, Milwaukee or if you're a Yankee fan in California, you can watch the Yankees. If you're a Miami Marlin fan in Minnesota, odds are you could probably find some way to watch those games regularly. But, you know, the Atlanta Braves brought baseball, especially during the decade of the you know late 70s and the 80s, brought baseball to a lot of fans that weren't seeing a lot of their home team. And I remember being a Mets fan at that time in New Jersey, you know, not having Sports Channel, which was, uh, uh, you know, paid for, uh, you know, you had to pay extra for it. You know, I watched the Mets games on Channel 9. I watched them, uh, you know, Yankees games usually on Channel 11. But the Yankees games were on MSG, which was part of the basic cable package. So as a Mets fan, I watched some Yankee games. I'd watch some Philadelphia games on 17. So I'd watch Yankee and Philly games, but I had the opportunity to watch a team that probably growing up I would never have known so much about. So the, the Atlanta Braves, during the peak time, that they are probably one of the they are the only national team in the country because they're on TBS and Turner Broadcasting and, and on cable. You know, you, you see some of the worst baseball in the history of the franchise. Yes, Dale Murphy wins the MVP in '82 and '83. They have some ups. You know, some a couple good players come in there here and there. Like I said, you know, you hear the honoring of Hank Aaron. He wins the. You know, he goes to the Hall of Fame. They retire his number. But it isn't until really 1990 where the Braves get any better. And it starts with Bobby Cox leaving the first time from the Atlanta Braves and fired by Ted Turner after the 1981 season and replaced by Joe Torre. Joe Torre, who had been a good Atlanta Brave player, Finished his career with the New York Mets before taking over as player manager. That ship had sailed. I mean, you know, you could have had John McGraw, you could have had Connie Mack, you could have had Tony Larusa in his prime managing those late 1970s New York Mets teams. And, you know, you're only going to be there for a short period of time. So, Torrey, you know, coming out of being a, an everyday baseball player and, be, you know, going behind the bench as a manager, gets his first part of experience with the New York Mets and then gets hired immediately by the Atlanta Braves. Takes the Braves to the playoffs in 82 with, like I said, Dale Murphy as the MVP. They're in a pennant race in 84, lose out to the San Diego Padres and the decision's made to uh, let Joe Torre go. He's fired after the 84 season. I think it's Chuck Tanner that takes over after that and the Braves go right down the shitter. They're, they're one of the worst teams in baseball. Bobby Cox goes immediately to the Toronto Blue Jays, takes that team to within a game of getting to the World Series in 1985. And I mention this because I find it fascinating. The decision was made by Major League Baseball after the 1984 season to change its league championship series format from the best of five to the best of seven. And the first two years, 1985 and 1986, the team that won three games first, in other words, the team that would have won if the series was the best of five, ended up losing the series. Blue Jays would have been in a World Series in 1985, and you know that the Royals ended up winning the whole thing. What if the Blue Jays won the World Series in 1985? And you say, John, why the, well, why the hell do you bring that up? 
Blue Jays won the World Series in 92 and 93. If you're a Jays fan, you got those two years to be proud of. Well, Bobby Cox left the Brave, I'm sorry, left the Blue Jays after 85, went into the Braves front office where he stayed up until he decided to make himself the manager replacing Russ Nixon and I think it was 1990. Could have been 89, but I think it was 1990. But Bobby Cox is considered such an integral part of the Braves and their success. What if Bobby Cox had not gone back there? What if Bobby Cox had won in Toronto and had spent you know, what would have been the rest of his career as a manager with the Toronto Blue Jays? The team won 99 games in 1985. Like I said, they were up, I think it was three games to one, or at least three games to two, in the best of seven, the first ever ALCS that was a best of seven series. So let's say he wins the World Series, leads the Blue Jays down the road, and never goes to the Atlanta Braves. Then this success that we talk about, the 14 straight division titles, the Braves, who were the team of the 90s, and yes, they got their World Series championship in 1995. The Yankees, yes, they won three World Series championships in that decade, but they were not as dominant as the Braves were. The Braves were the best team in baseball in the 1990s. Could they have been the best team in baseball if Bobby Cox was not there? Not just Bobby Cox behind the bench as the manager, but Bobby Cox as the executive, as the general manager, as the person that really put that team together. And yes, John Sherholtz comes in uh, you know, when, when uh, Cox decides he's going to be the manager. And you know, Sherholtz is, going in, is in the Hall of Fame as well. It's that combination that did a lot. But you wonder, did the Braves make the trade for John Smoltz? Trading Doyle Alexander in 1987 to the Detroit Tigers. Did they draft Tom Glavin? Did they eventually, as a you know, through free agency, pick up Greg Maddox? Obviously, the young players that the Braves have, the Chipper Joneses, and you know, before that, David Justice and the impact that he had on that team. If players like that aren't around, maybe the Braves don't turn the corner. And you know, we're not really that far removed, or at least it doesn't seem like it from the Braves being a premier playoff team year in and year out. In fact, they made the playoffs every year from 1991 to 2005. And I've knocked it. I've been a, I've been a little bit tough on the Braves because I look at that 1994 season, which is not the fault of any individual team. I'm not blaming the Braves. The Braves didn't do anything wrong here, but the Braves in 1994... We're in second place in the National League East Division. Montreal Expos were on top there. Now, 114 games were played, which means that there was, what, you're talking about 40, 48 games to play? Could the Braves have come back? There were six games out at the time, by the way, when the season ended. But it's hard to consider the years before and the years after as part of one big streak of consecutive division titles. Yes, the Braves won the NL West in 91 through 93. And the Braves won the NL East in, from 95 to 2005. Which, by the way, if you're talking about just those 11 seasons, still impressive. Still a great run. Still something that in the, uh, I don't know, you think of the game being a little more balanced. Teams can certainly make a run on a given season. But the 11 straight division titles that they have are, are pretty impressive. And you wonder whether it would have happened without Bobby Cox. But what I find fascinating is the fact that the Braves won the World Series in 1995, and that was 26 years ago. 26 years ago. I'm thinking of the Braves as World Series champions. It seems like it was more recent than that, a quarter of a century ago. And this is a good team, a team that... Doesn't have Ronald Acuna, but has some solid pitching. And if you're going to ask me who I think is going to be favored in this World Series, you're talking about two managers that hopefully will not overuse the same relief pitcher. And you're going to hear it here on this show first, 
and I'm not rooting against this pitcher by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm using history as an example to prove that we are probably going to repeat it at some point in this World Series. Tyler Matzik, who's pitched in every Braves game except for one, has been dominant, could have very well won the NLCS MVP. Eddie Rosario deserved it. He hit over 500. But the Braves probably don't get past the Dodgers if it's not for Matzik. Nine out of the ten games he has appeared in in this postseason. And I promise you, I would put money, I wish I could put money on it when it comes to some sort of bet. Tyler Matzik is going to cost the Braves a game in this World Series. He's going to cost the Braves a game because, number one, as much as he's going to keep saying that he his arm's okay and he can pitch, he's not used to pitching in every single game. And the Braves are going to keep, as much as you say, they're not using any sort of analytics because Brian Snickers, their manager, and he's so old school. The algorithm to what spells an Atlanta Braves victory is going to at some point include Tyler Matzik. Now, Will Smith is their closer. Luke Jackson is another guy in the mix. If they get six innings somehow, some reason, out of one of their starting pitchers, their ideal scenario would be to hand the ball to those three guys. But most importantly, Matzik. The Braves have to find a way to win a World Series game that Tyler Matzik doesn't pitch in. And it's going to be interesting because I, I think Matzik is a guy that I would be worried about giving up a big hit, imploding, and it's not that anything that he has done proves that it's going to happen. But going back to the ghost of Christmas past, Nick Anderson, Brandon Morrow, going back to the 80s, you think of Calvin Schiraldi and Donnie Moore and... Dennis Eckersley, who was beat by Kirk Gibson and later on by Roberto Alomar. These things happen. And they happen because the team doesn't seem to be able to win a game in the postseason without their best relief pitcher. Now, the regular season, you find a ton of ways to win. You give the guys the most amount of rest that they need, and you, you win games with whoever you have in there. In the postseason, you can't do it. In the postseason, automatically, you got to blow through four of your front relief pitchers and just not go to them. Only pitch them in blowouts. And then the same two or three relief pitchers, you got to use every single game. So if the Braves are going to win this series, it's going to be to make sure that Tyler Matzik isn't pitching in every freaking game. And if he does, I'm telling you, I'll refer back to this moment on the PBS where I'm going to tell you that Tyler Matzik's going to blow the World Series for the Atlanta Braves. Now the Astros, the other element is the whole cheating thing. Listen, 2017, first of all, is four years ago. Second of all, just five players, one of whom is Lance McCullers, who is not going to be on the World Series roster. So you're talking about four players that were part of that team. And even if they cheated as much as you want to say they did, you're really talking about a different squad here. A team with Jordan Alvarez, Michael Brantley, the, the depth that they have, the younger pitchers, Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia, Ryan Presley has come over from Minnesota, Christian Javier. This, this is a different baseball team. And I think one that's going to be opportunistic and one that you could look at Altuve and Bregman and Gurriel and Correa, they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They want to prove how good of a baseball team they've been and kind of take away that narrative that they were gifted a World Series championship because they knew all the answers to the exam. But you ask where my rooting interest is, I wouldn't mind if the Braves won. This is a good squad. I really think they've earned the position that they're in. They've been a perennial good baseball team in Major League Baseball for the past handful of seasons, the four straight division titles. Listen, they deserve a chance at a World Series. Yeah, they beat the Dodgers. They beat the Brewers, two teams that were probably ready to 
to, to win the whole thing. They deserve a shot. The Braves win. I ain't going to be mad. Am I kind of rooting for the Astros? A little bit. I like Dusty Baker. You know, the amount of years that he's put into the game, the fact that all this time has gone by, and it seems like every place that he has managed, he got the short end of the stick. You know, how did the Giants not bring him back after he takes them to the World Series in 2002? The Cubs have a bad season. They let him go. The Reds, not even a bad season, but a down season. They blame him because there's not enough analytics. Brian Price didn't seem like he could hold Dusty Baker's jock strap, and he got to manage the team for the next three or four seasons. Yeah, he goes to the Nationals, gives them everything that they expected, a legitimate 95-win team two straight years, and they let him go. Team that was ready to win a World Series, by the way. And if Dusty Baker was the manager of the Nationals in 2019, the Nationals still would have been World Series champions. So I'm rooting for Dusty. I'm rooting for the Astros to kind of stick it to all those people that say, oh, man, they cheated without not really understanding the history of baseball where cheating dates back to the inception of the game. But it'll be interesting to see how it works out. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you, who knows when. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Castration of the Major League Baseball manager as we know it. Ask me about my win And during that stretch, when they won five games and lost three games, the games they lost, they scored zero, one, and three runs. A very good possibility that if Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. How come you're only looking at a certain amount of money that gets rewarded to a particular franchise as we hit the halfway point here in the fastball show? Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I thought he was supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer and Bucky Harris. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were the fan of the team that was batting and the ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at <laughs> They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. He didn't do anything wrong in this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beat for crying out loud. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. <laughs> <laughs>